Welcome to The Waves, Slade's podcast about gender, celebrity splits, and dunking on the sexist bad mama trope. Every episode this month, you get me, Kat Chow, talking with someone super smart about something I cannot get out of my brain. All right, so I'm a nosy person. I'm the type of person who loves when people tell me low-stakes gossip, even low-stakes gossip that's not at all related to their lives. Just inject it into my vein. I want to know, was Francesca actually into Damien on Perfect Match? I want to know about the relationships between, you know, our favorite TV show hosts and the normies. But when it comes to celebrity divorces, I feel really uncomfortable hearing about them. Because they can get very ugly, very fast. They become these kind of smear campaigns where both people are trying to malign one another. And they've also dominated popular culture for years. But it doesn't end there. These two traded insults in the press regularly. Why did you let me marry this idiot? (laughs) And he said, he said, I thought you liked him. David accused her of giving him an STD and being an alcoholic, while Liza said he poisoned her and drugged her throughout their marriage. That, by the way, was referring to Liza Minnelli and David Guest's divorce back in 07. There were also the divorces of Elizabeth Taylor and then Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer. And of course, we've had Britney Spears and Kevin Federline, Tiger Woods and Ellen Nordegren. Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. It's got to be painful. I mean, I don't like it when people bring it up, but people still do, right? I don't find it painful, though. I think it's a narrative that follows you because it's an interesting headline. It's it's more of a media-driven topic. Generally, the person who's going to take the brunt of the backlash, who's going to walk away from the divorce with the most damage to their reputation, is the woman. And in the particular divorce we're going to talk about today, it's especially complicated because there are kids involved. Which brings me to Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner. Listen to how TMZ describes their situation. We've spoken to multiple sources on Joe's side who said, obviously, she was a party girl. He liked to stay at home. That was part of it. As seen in a recent video at a rap party for a project she was working on. I said this is In that video, Turner is playing an arcade game. She's sort of punching some boxing situation. And then in the next clip, she's holding a drink that's maybe a margarita up to a camera. Either way, the couple put out a joint statement saying they mutually decided to amicably end our marriage. But that's not what we heard at all. Which is sad, especially since they have two young kids who Joe has mainly been taking care of over the last three months on tour while Sophie was filming. So you hear that? The way the PR machine and the broader gossip media has spun that narrative, that it's sad that Jonas is bringing his kids on tour while Turner is out drinking, as if she's a bad mom for attending a work party. Classic Hollywood spin machine. But the reaction to this spin is kind of different. Take these headlines. I'm not buying that narrative that Sophie Turner is a bad mom. That's from Glamour Magazine. And here's the Washington Post. Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner's divorce sparks outrage about mom shaming. 
And finally, from Rolling Stone, Sophie Turner isn't a bad mom. You're just a misogynist. We're going to take a quick break, but when we're back, we're going to talk to the writer behind that Rolling Stone piece, E.J. Dixon. She's going to break down what celebrity divorces say about a woman's worth, that bad mother trope, and so much more. Hey, Waves listeners, if you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning, and while you're there, give our other episodes a listen too. Like last week's, I talked with an actual genius, a MacArthur genius, about the deep, endless rabbit hole of sorority rush TikTok. Welcome back to The Waves. I'm Kat Chow, and I'm joined now by EJ Dixon, a senior correspondent with Rolling Stone. EJ, welcome. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to have you on to talk about this. And I guess the first question that we all just have to know and establish is, were you a Joe Jonas, Sophie Turner fan? Oh, I sure was. I had a um, poster of the Joe Bros in my dorm room Ooh. <laughs> my freshman year. Wow, right above your bed? Sure did. Um, it was their Rolling Stone cover. And I, I actually went to a pretty, like, left-wing liberal arts school. And I remember people were really disturbed by the fact that I had that poster in my room. <laughs> they were like, why do you like the Jonas Brothers? I was like, because they're good. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, was, I was a big Jonas Brothers fan. And I was a big uh, Joe Jonas, Sophie Turner fan. So let's talk about more generally— You wrote in your article for Rolling Stone that you recently Googled a keyword associated with the media coverage of Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas. What was that keyword and why were you on the Googles? The keyword was bad moms. And actually, the reason why I had a Google alert for that setup is because I am currently working on a book about bad moms. So I am very curious. Um, It was just sort of coincidental that Mm. uh, all of those articles popped up at the same time. Okay, so how does Bad Mom relate to the Joe Jonas-Sophie Turner divorce? I mean, we kind of know the basic beats of how things are portrayed, but can you say more about that? I think you sort of have to come at it from a basic understanding of, like, the inner workings of how celebrity journalism covers these types of divorces. Because what I started noticing— And what a lot of other people on the internet started noticing is that there were all these stories that were being strategically placed um, in various tabloids, most notably TMZ, that were quoting, you know, these anonymous sources close to the Joe Jonas camp saying that Sophie was out partying, that she, you know, hadn't been home with the kids in months, that Joe was basically single-handedly raising the kids as this, like, single dad while Sophie was gallivanting elsewhere and the Jonas Brothers were on tour. And it became pretty clear to me pretty fast that what was happening was a very targeted PR campaign orchestrated by Joe Jonas's team that was intent on painting Sophie Turner as a bad mother and having that become part of the narrative from the get-go. 
Right. And as a bad mother, when she's actually working, she is on set in the UK and she's celebrating at a rap party, probably having a couple drinks, but that's what happens with colleagues. And so it wasn't exactly like this wild thing. Yeah, it was actually, it was kind of shocking to me because, you know, women have been in the workplace, mothers particularly have been in the workplace for decades and decades. And there's this common consensus that it's sort of like expected that mothers will work. And the idea that like mothers who work should be castigated seems very much like a relic of the 70s or 80s. But that was what was happening, like, in real time, like, with these TMZ stories. She was being blasted for essentially being a working mother. And I thought that was pretty That was pretty crazy. That was not a strategy that I had frequently seen in celebrity divorces before. Yeah, and then on the flip side, he was being celebrated as, you know, this wonderful father figure when really he was just doing what many people who are parents do, which is take care of their children. Oh my God! Yes, there was this. <laughs> there was this photo that so I think TMZ um, got these exclusive photos of Joe like out to brunch with his kids. Joe Jonas taking the kiddies out to breakfast and putting on a brave face amidst his split with Sophie Turner. And it was almost like he was bathed in like a beatific light, like he was like a Madonna of sorts. And he was like, <laughs> and they were so perfectly angled, like to to capture Joe, like cuddling the kids and like you know giving them kisses and putting. And there's them like in a their clear sight line, and he's out in public having you know wrangling his children. Yeah, and I mean I don't have any like unique insight on this, but my perception of that was, oh, okay, so his team called the paps and was like. He is going out to lunch with his kids. Like, can we get some photos of it? And um, yeah, as you said, it's, it wasn't like he was doing anything special. You know, he was doing basically anything that a father would do, i.e. feeding his kids. I wanted to bring up another little puzzle piece of this divorce that people keep talking about. The way that people have latched onto it has just kind of, it's really put my hackles up. And it's about the ring camera footage, which TMZ reported on saying, you know, kind of citing as this reason for Joe Jonas thinking that Sophie Turner was not a good spouse for him. And you wrote in your article that the saying and or doing something is doing a lot of work there, referring to that she's saying or doing something on the ring camera. Was she cheating? Was she caught watching the season finale of And Just Like That? I just thought that the way you framed it and its absurdity was really good. But can you talk about how that is an example of the PR spin machine? Yeah. I mean, again, I don't have any. This is just my perception as like somebody who is a student of (laughs) a celebrity spin (laughs) and is kind of, you know, just obsessed with uh, pop culture coverage. But um I mean, my understanding, it's such a specific phrase that also manages to be incredibly nonspecific. Yeah. You know, like like all that we know is that Joe Jonas saw Sophie Turner doing something on camera that ended the marriage. That is literally doing and or saying something on camera that ended. That is literally all we know. And clearly that is intended to make us think that she was unfaithful because that's just the first thought that anybody's mind is going to jump to, but they don't want to be seen as saying she was unfaithful. So it's a very sneaky rhetorical trick, I think, and one that um, 
the public pretty quickly saw through. Why do you think that the public writ large was able to really kind of seize on this and and see the inner workings of everything? I was actually surprised by that. Yeah, me too. I was actually really surprised by it because I would say that the majority of the time, you know, there are these battle lines set up and drawn in the sand and everybody is either Team Sophie or Team Joe or whatever. Um, and it's mostly based on um, either pre-existing sympathies or, you know, misinformation that takes off online, you know, various narratives that sort of take root and barrow in the public consciousness. But that wasn't the case here. I think that it's because it's the, what Joe Jonas's team was doing was just so blatant, mm-hmm. you know, like in a really unprecedented way. Like I was saying before that, um, you know, in 2023, we sort of see the uh, criticism of working moms as like a, a relic from another era. And yet here they were like using that exact playbook. And it's like, wait a second, this is some like old school misogyny that's that's playing out right here. And also, I think Sophie Turner is, you know, a very beloved figure and a lot of people have grown up watching Game of Thrones and their sympathies were naturally going to be aligned with her to some extent. But I think it it was just how blatant the uh, PR strategy being utilized here was that really got people's bullshit sensors going. Yeah. And I think that this to me speaks a lot about the intensity of these parasocial relationships that people have with celebrities and especially celebrity couples, which I think become their own sort of entity. You know, it's like this unit that moves through the world where you have Benefer and everyone's rooting for them. Um, But why do people feel the need to choose a side in, you know, this couple where they don't even know either party? Where is that sense coming from? I mean, it's age old, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I am old enough that I remember very clearly the team Jennifer and the team uh, Angelina t-shirts that were coming out with the uh, Brad Pitt-Jennifer Aniston breakup and, you know, going even further back, (laughs) like uh, Elizabeth Taylor, Eddie Fisher, uh, Debbie Reynolds, that that whole trifecta. I mean, it's, it's not like there isn't a precedent for people becoming overly invested in uh, celebrity breakups. I do think where the parasocial relationships and the internet come into play is that because we are living so much of our lives online, people feel like they know us more. Mm -hmm. People have more of an exposure to our day-to-day, even though that's, you know, not even necessarily representing, like, an accurate picture of us. They feel like it is. And I think that is really what is fueling the interest in this specific breakup. We're going to take a quick break, but if you want to hear more from EJ and me on another topic, check out our Slate Plus segment. We're going to talk about the goop queen herself, Gwyneth Paltrow, and why EJ thinks that she is uncancelable. Please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no hitting that paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like this one. To learn more, go to slate.com slash thewavesplus.
Welcome back to The Waves. I'm Kat Chow, and I'm chatting with Rolling Stone's E.J. Dixon. We're talking about Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas's divorce announcement and the really gendered ways that this has been spun. Okay, so EJ, I want to zoom out now, and we have talked about this a little bit throughout our conversation, but these high-profile celebrity divorces, you know, between straight couples, and, you know, you mentioned Angelina and Jen and the ways that people really sympathized with them, but what are some of the um, historic, so to speak, examples that we've seen and people's responses? So I'm I'm sort of obsessed with Hollywood and particularly old Hollywood because I, I see it as sort of a template for how these kinds of things play out today. And so the most prominent example that I can think of of a celebrity breakup being covered um, and scrutinized to this degree is when Elizabeth Taylor started dating Eddie Fisher after Elizabeth's husband died in a tragic accident. It was Hollywood's most scandalous love triangle. In 1959, the marriage of America's sweethearts was over, and Debbie was cast as the victim. Eddie had ditched Debbie for Elizabeth Taylor. And the way this played out was, in the tabloids, was almost instantly just dripping with misogyny. Mm. Um, Elizabeth was painted as this sort of dark temptress, this seductive force of nature, Debbie Reynolds, you know, this pure, untainted, blonde housewife who was being, you know, horribly betrayed. You ever run into Elizabeth Taylor? No, because it's been too many years, you know. We, we never, we, we were close friends, then when it all happened, so long ago, though, it's such a snore, who cares? Yeah. Is it a snore now? It's a snore. I think she's doing great. I think she looks great, and everybody's for a survivor. It makes us always look at someone that, that gets over all of their adversities and, and makes it happen for themselves. Life goes on. Yeah, but, you know, she took husbands like uh, Hitler going through Poland, don't you think? I mean... <laughs> You're really tacky, right? <laughs> And there was such an obsessive focus on, like, the war between these two women who actually became friends later in life and joked about it all the time. So interesting how that happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and there was so much focus on this war between the two women that the person who arguably should have gotten the most shit for this, which was Eddie Fisher, for abandoning his family for another woman, was barely, barely played into it at all. And I think that has really laid the groundwork for how we cover celebrity breakups now. I think another really prominent example recently, although it's quite different, it's a little bit different because um, it involves somebody who is not, is more of a normie, (laughs) Um, is Ariana Grande and Ethan Slater, the SpongeBob actor, and how he left his wife and young son for her. And I feel like there was a lot of very obsessive interest in Ariana's sexual history and people sort of trying to make the case that she had a pattern of doing this and less of a focus on the fact that this guy did something really stupid, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I like I can't speak to whether or not Ariana actually does have that pattern because I don't know. But it's, it was almost like people are just trying to project these frankly, like, inherently misogynistic narratives onto these situations, like these scripts that they've already learned so they can make sense of them. Right. And I also think that, as we know, there's the institution of marriage is not really designed to benefit a woman when it's between a man and a woman. I just kept thinking about 
these media narratives in service of these really traditional forms of marriage and divorce. And then also the, like what a wife or mother should be. How do you make sense of that? Yeah. I mean, I guess on some subliminal level, that is what's going on here. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm married and I have kids. So like, it's, it makes sense. It's not like I look at these examples. I I look at, you know, Ariana Grande, or I look at you know, whoever the quote-unquote other woman is, and I'm like, they're doing a great feminist empowering thing. Like, I don't. But I do feel that there is, like, a concentrated effort on the behalf of traditional celebrity media to sort of reinforce these traditional notions. So, EJ, the conversation and the media fallout, really— Around this divorce between Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas, it's really gotten me thinking about just those impossible standards for women, especially mothers, where, you know, you're expected to go back to the workforce because you need to keep your independence outside of motherhood. But the moment you do that, you're abandoning your duties as a mother. It's completely impossible and unrealistic to you know, fit into this. Can you talk more about that? It's just, it feels like these images of motherhood are so limited in these specific contexts where it's like what we select or choose to see in this situation of divorce in particular feels really limited. Yeah. I mean, motherhood is about self-sacrifice. That's what it is in the United States. That is what defines a good mother. If you are willing to sacrifice every aspect of yourself and who you were before having a child, then you are a good mother. And if you fall short of that in any respect, then you're not. I mean, it's really that simple. Um, that gave me chills. But it's true. I mean, are, are you a parent? I am not a parent. I mean, I am thinking about parenthood. And I I think I was watching this all unfold with the feeling of, oh my gosh, how can you be a full person and a mother without people making these assumptions about you. And we, I mean, that's what I hear from all of my friends who are mothers and, and what have you. But it really just, uh, it hit me in a specific way. Yeah. I mean, you can't. That's the answer. <laughs> you you can't. Becoming a parent, and I did, I, I, I did not realize this until I actually became one, puts you on a public stage in a way that you can't really anticipate until it happens. You sort of just feel constantly like, you're being scrutinized, but also that your presence is like an imposition. And and that's it's sort of in practical ways. Like whenever I try to push my baby's stroller into like a crowded little coffee house and everybody looks at me like I'm the biggest, uh, you know, uh, annoyance ever. Um, but also in like more ineffable, less, less tangible ways. And yeah, I mean, the, that's the narrative. Motherhood is about self-sacrifice. And if you try to hold on to any aspect of the person who you were before becoming a mother, then you're viewed as selfish or, you know, a negligent mom or a bad mom in some way. But, you know, if Joe Jonas was pushing his uh, stroller in a busy coffee shop, he would be seen as the best dad in the world. Okay, EJ, we've talked a lot about basically how this divorce really reflects a lot about the gender roles and the sexist, misogynistic ways we talk about divorce. What is your big takeaway 
um, about the Joe Jonas-Sophie Turner divorce and the narrative around it? Well, I would like the takeaway to be that we cut mom some slack, but... (laughs) (laughs) That would be nice. (laughs) I I mean, that's a very selfish takeaway, being a mother myself and being somebody who is working on a book about motherhood. I would like the takeaway to be, well, we see that this guy's team is weaponizing these very specific, very harmful tropes against this woman. Maybe we should, like, examine what these tropes are and where they come from and, you know, why they're harmful to women. Like, why is it harmful to call a mother a bad mom? Uh, So that's the conversation that I would like to see started. I don't know. And that's that's sort of what I was trying to get at with my piece. I don't know if other people are thinking about it in the same vein. Um, But that's what I would hope. Okay, EJ, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. That's our show this week. I'm Kat Chow. I wrote and produced this episode. You can follow me on Instagram at katchow underscore. Say hi, send me ideas, memes, anything to get my mind off of the bad mom trope. Well, maybe not anything, but some good stuff. The Waves is produced by Vic Whitley-Berry and Shayna Roth. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. We want to hear from you. Send us fan mail. Email us at thewaves@slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different topic, same time and place, same host. Me, Kat Chow. Thanks so much for being a Slate Plus member. And since you are a member, you get this weekly segment. Today, EJ Dixon and I are going to talk all about Gwyneth Paltrow. Paltrow was in the news earlier this year for maybe one of the weirder trials in recent memory. She was being sued for knocking into a man while skiing. And people could not get enough of this. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. It's been a trial of bizarre moments, like... Private security for my client wanted to bring in treats for the bailiffs. And... Oh, tell me I'm taller, please. So, what is the latest? Terry Sanderson, the 76-year-old man who is bringing a massive £245,000 lawsuit against Gwyneth Paltrow, has finally taken the stand. I heard something I've never heard at a ski resort. It also became a sort of jumping-off point for an article that you wrote, EJ. The headline is also probably one of my favorites in a long time. It's, you cannot cancel Gwyneth Paltrow because Gwyneth Paltrow is mother. Tell us about that. Gwyneth has become sort of shorthand for wealth and excess and indulgence and a particular type of celebrity non-self-awareness. And I think the fact that she actually is self-aware about the fact that she represents that makes her somewhat of a camp figure (laughs) and makes her sort of like a beloved figure. 
That was just some of our Slate Plus segment. If you want to hear the whole thing, go to slate.com slash the waves plus to become a Slate Plus member today. Slate.com slash the waves plus.